Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show Nationwide. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. The Daily Caller has a story out. Um, Credit where credit is due. Henry Rogers is the senior congressional correspondent at The Daily Caller, and he writes this. Biden's Department of Justice, Department of Education, and COVID policies are prime targets for House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy should Republicans retake the House in the midterms this November. According to a sprawling list of priorities his office sent exclusively to The Daily Caller, we have already sent preservation notices and document requests and we'll be ready on day one to use the various tools at our disposal to get the answers Americans are demanding, a McCarthy spokesperson told the Daily Caller. McCarthy's office cited politically motivated actions by the DOJ and the Department of Education's collusion with the School Board Association to target parents as domestic terrorists as oversight priorities. The entirety of President Joe Biden's COVID response is also on the table. McCarthy plans to pursue answers on the origins of COVID, failures in the Biden testing regime, and continuing school closures, and the failure of Biden health officials to accept natural immunity in its guidance. Good. Investigate the mess out of them. But also, it's time to defund Transportation Safety Administration, the TSA, if they don't get rid of the mask mandate for airports and airplanes, there's no reason for it at this point. There's really not. It would be bad if the Republicans in 2024 had to campaign on vote for us. We'll get rid of masks in airports and airplanes. The House Republicans and Senate Republicans, they're probably going to take back the Senate now too. If you look at the polling, they should be able to do this. But there's another issue here as well. Why can't we just defund this stuff? Why are we investigating? Yes, investigate, but defund as well. And fund the border wall. Force Biden on that issue. Investigation is great, uh, but gutting some of the government spending out there is good as well. You know, we're at $30 trillion in the national debt now. Thirty trillion dollars. You can't really even fathom that, can you? It's a lot of money. It's a lot. It's becoming a national security issue. You know, the left is obsessed with climate change as a national security issue. Our debt is a national security issue. And when the interest rates rise, it's going to get even worse. Discretionary spending goes down. It becomes a real problem. And we can't just eliminate it by minting a $30 trillion coin. The left, that's the left's claim essentially is let's just make a coin and call it a $30 trillion coin. It would devalue our our currency. It would spark even more inflation. It would be bad. But there's another issue here as well that I want to address, and it's the uncomfortable one. If I sound like I'm hesitated, I am because I'm I'm having this conversation in my head as I as I talk. I'm multitasking my brain and my mouth on two different strains. That's dangerous even for me, but I am a professional. But I think I want to get into this. 
The Republicans are gearing up for the takeover of the House of Representatives. I think the Republicans will take back the House. They only need five seats. With redistricting alone, they can get that. With Biden's unpopularity, they can get that. My goodness gracious. Let, let's go over real clear politics real quick and see uh, in the polling, the Biden approval rating, he's down 12.3%. By the way, Joe Biden is now as unpopular as Donald Trump ever was. In the generic ballot, it is R plus 3.9. Republicans tend to exceed that by about five points historically. That means the GOP is going to do quite well. The Republicans will take back Congress. You know, Nancy Pelosi is staying on as the head of the House Democrats in large part because she knows what's going to happen. The House Democrats are led by a bunch of geriatrics. First of all, you've got Joe Biden, who's 80, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn. They're all in their 80s. A lot of the major House-ranking members are in their 70s and 80s. you got a bunch of younger Democrats who have come in, but but the House is ruled by a bunch of old people. And there's a difference because some of the younger ones are far more progressive than the older Democrats. And the older Democrats understand what those young Democrats don't. But there are parts of the country that do not like you to be hardcore progressive. Say what you will about Nancy Pelosi, and I say a lot. But Nancy Pelosi understands at the end of the day, you've got to cobble together a coalition of votes to get anything passed. Nancy Pelosi's background is she's the daughter, the former mayor of Baltimore, Maryland. In fact, uh, Stinney Hoyer, I believe, who is the number two Democrat in the House, his father and Pelosi's father were political rivals. Pelosi moved to San Francisco, ran for office, came in, and she trounced Hoyer in the way her father trounced Hoyer's father, and she's the leader. She was going to retire, and she's not retiring because if she did retire, and everyone knew she was going to retire, her own staff knew she was going to retire because she's old. She's done, and she knows they're going to lose. Pelosi is smart enough to know the Democrats are going to lose the House of Representatives. But she also knew that she could not be number 30. If Pelosi were to step aside right now, she would be the 30th House Democrat to quit. And we are only just in February. She was going to, but then Jim Cooper of Tennessee He's been redistricted in such a way that there's no way he's going to win. So he decided to call it quits. He was number 29. That happened two weeks ago. She would have been number 30. So instead, she rushed out and said, hey, guys, I'm staying. Had her eyebrows drawn in a huge arches so you knew she was serious. She knows she's the only one who can keep the House Democrats from funny. This is the irony here is that Joe Biden, to a degree, has been the Democrat nationally who could keep the progressives and the more moderate Democrats, who are liberal but more moderate than the progressives, could keep them from fighting each other. And Pelosi, to a degree, is the only Democrat in the House of Representatives who is so adept at her job, she knows how to get the sausage made, she can keep the moderate Democrats and the far-left Democrats from killing each other. If she goes, it's open warfare. But she can still quit. She could win re-election, realize that Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker, say, all right, guys, I'm done. Have at it. 
Knock yourselves out. Fight. She may still do that. But there's a problem here. Kevin McCarthy, the Real Clear Politics polling average, has a 24% favorable rating. Joe Biden is more favorable than him. Hell, Donald Trump is more favorable than Joe Biden right now. In the national political surveys, Mitch McConnell and and Kevin McCarthy both have 24% approval rating. But you know what? Some of that approval rating comes from Republicans. The disapproval does. The problem is you talk to Republicans behind the scenes and Kevin McCarthy is principleless. He is utterly without conviction. The only conviction Kevin McCarthy has is for Kevin McCarthy's political advancement. And he will say or do anything to get ahead. You and I can say much about Nancy Pelosi, but Nancy Pelosi is a progressive with progressive principles. And every time Nancy Pelosi sits down to make the sausage, she wants to figure out how she can make it ever so slightly more sweet for progressives. So she builds a coalition of moderates and progressives to get things done, but there's always a little bit of sweetener for the progressives. And the sausage gets a little sweeter every time for progressives. As she moves things to the left, Kevin McCarthy does not have the acumen. Nancy Pelosi is a better trench fighter than Kevin McCarthy. Nancy Pelosi is a better intellectual, ideological warrior than Kevin McCarthy. He's an empty suit. Had a friend of mine who served with Kevin McCarthy in the California legislature. And he described Kevin McCarthy as the shallowest of politicians and the vainest, too. And he wants to be the Republican leader. And you know, ironically, because he lacks any conviction, he as well is probably the Republican who can hold things together. Liz Cheney is on the outs with conservatives these days. I've always been fans of the Cheney family. I don't agree with everything Liz Cheney has done, but at least I know she believes what she says and she means it. You always know where Liz Cheney stands on an issue. You're never going to be caught off guard. You're never going to be surprised. She has conviction. With Kevin McCarthy, you don't know. Kevin McCarthy sticks his finger in the wind and goes which way the wind blows. And if the conservatives build pressure, and this is why conservatives are okay with him, because if they build pressure, McCarthy will side with them. If the moderates build pressure, he'll side with them. But the conservatives right now feel they have the numbers. Then you've got, uh, at least what's her name, uh, Stephanie. Uh, she's actually pretty moderate, was not a Donald Trump fan, and now she says all the right things. But I don't know. Can you believe the conversion, uh, or is it opportunistic? And again, with Liz Cheney, you may not like her, but you know where she stands. And you can be mad at her and hate her, and she's probably going to lose re-election. But she will lose re-election, and all of us will know where she stood. We will understand that when she said something, she believed it, and she wanted to fight for it. And we can't say that with Kevin McCarthy. And I suspect Republicans are going to be sorely disappointed 
with McCarthy. It'll be very much like John Boehner, but at least John Boehner ultimately was at the vanguard of the, of the uh, Republican revolution in the 1990s. He was there. He lived it. He understood the need to move the country to the right and for conservatism. He had that level of conviction. Uh, he just lost touch with the conservatives. So I'm worried about Kevin McCarthy. We're on the edge of a significant win in the House of Representatives. And the win is with an empty suit. And his gut is for spectacle. And that'll serve him well, by the way. He wants spectacle. That's his default. Let's have lots of investigations. Let's drag it out. Let's make it bad for the Democrats. That's fine. That's fine. You want to make it bad for the Democrats. You don't have to stand for anything right now. You know, McCarthy says Republicans need a platform right now. They don't. All they need is the word no. No to Biden. No to his agenda. No to his nominations. No to everything he wants. That's the only agenda Republicans need. Mitch McConnell gets that. You don't need an agenda. You got Joe Biden on the other side. McCarthy understands the spectacle of it. The problem is the ideas. And frankly, I think Republicans need a lot of new ideas. We need to get rid of Ronald Reagan's playbook from the 1980s. I mean, although with Russia and China coming back, there's some of that national security front. Uh, but we should be finding our own dictators around the world and propping them up, frankly, ones who will share values with the West to a degree, even if we don't particularly like them. We should go back to some of that Cold War ruthlessness that Ronald Reagan deployed in foreign policy. But also we need some principal leaders with conviction. And I don't think Kevin McCarthy gives us that. He'll give us a lot of spectacle, and maybe he understands it better than me, that people are vain and shallow, and they just want to be entertained, and he'll make the House of Representatives an entertaining spectacle for Republicans as they investigate Joe Biden, and that'll keep some people happy. But it's like sugar, and eventually you come crashing down, and I'm afraid that's what McCarthy's convictions as Speaker will be like, and that makes me very concerned for the future of the Republican Party. You can grasp hold of power and then stand for nothing. And when you stand for nothing, eventually you fall over. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bull and Branch sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes, I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bull and Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Bull and Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bowling Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great. And every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Howdy! It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I need to bring you up to speed on what's happening in Ukraine. 
American soldiers are headed to Poland, Germany, and Romania as we see what's happening. Now, they say we're not going to go to war with Ukraine. We will see if that actually happens. Um, But what's very, very interesting here is that uh, the New York Times uh, has revealed exactly how the Russians intended to spark war. And it's been a it's been leaked by the Americans. It came from British intelligence, actually. Listen to this. Uh, the plan, which the United States hopes to spoil by making public, involves staging and filming a fabricated attack by the Ukrainian military, either on Russian territory or against Russian-speaking people in eastern Ukraine. Russia intends to use the video to accuse Ukraine of genocide against Russian-speaking people. It would then use the outrage over the video to justify an attack or have separatist leaders in the Donbas region of eastern Ukraine invite a Russian intervention. Officials would not release any direct evidence of the Russian plan or how they learned of it, saying to do so would compromise their sources and methods. But both the recent Russian disinformation campaign focused on false accusations of genocide and the recent political actions being taken by the Russian parliament to recognize breakaway governments in Ukraine lead credence to the intelligence. Now, you got to remember, Vladimir Putin, it is now widely believed, came to power by blowing up an apartment building filled with people in Moscow and claiming it was Muslim separatists in Chechnya who did it. And he vowed to take revenge on the Chechnyans. And it is, it's pretty widely now accepted that it was Putin who killed all these Russians himself in order to grasp power in Moscow. And this is how apparently he wants to do the same thing in Ukraine. And he's not going to stop there. That's the thing that people who are skeptical of doing anything about Ukraine, if you pay attention... He wants Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania back in the fold. They don't want to be there. He wants Poland back in the fold. They don't want to be there. He wants Romania back in the fold. They don't want to be there. He wants uh, the Czech Republic and Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, back in the fold. And essentially, he wants to rebuild the Eastern Europe of the Soviet Union under a, a Russian sphere of influence. And these countries do not want to go. Some of them are now NATO allies. That's why some people want to get rid of NATO, because they don't want they, they don't want to go to war with Russia over this. The problem is if the Russians expand their sphere of influence like this, they are not supporters of Western democracy. They don't share our values. And I'm not talking drag queen story hour. I'm talking about Western values of free speech and free press, the Second Amendment, all these things. They they don't share them. And It'll be bad for us if they are able to expand, particularly when it means we will be breaking our word to a lot of countries that love us, that became free of the Soviet Union and erected statues to Ronald Reagan to commemorate their freedom and liberation from the Soviets. And we shouldn't break our word to those people who love us. It continues to be the case around the world in China, in Russia, in every dictatorship on the planet. The people who crave freedom hoist the American flag. And we should remember that. They hoist our flag for a reason because of what it symbolizes. And we should not soil that symbol by giving in to dictatorships and letting them have their way around the world. And I'm afraid some people on the left and some people on the right are willing to do that. Not because they don't really want to fight. It's just they're kind of okay with it. That's the problem. All right. 
when we come back, we need to talk about this new study about how lockdowns were ineffective. I'm reading the study. I'm like, didn't people understand this early on? I mean, two weeks to stop the spread just kept going. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 87797-ERIC-877-973-7425. Sometimes I learn and realize and have to remind myself that uh, these days it's hard to have nuance in conversations, particularly about COVID at this point. It's hard to put things in proper context and nuance. But I want to, for a moment, to explain some stuff. Um, there's a report out that lockdowns did very little to stop the spread of COVID. Now, of course, some people on the left are disputing this and pushing back, but it's obvious based on the data that that was the case. But we need, we got to go back to 2020 for the full and honest context and accounting of of what happened. In 2020, we were met with a virus that we had never seen before, and it became pretty obvious early on the Chinese were lying about how bad it was, what it was, how it spread, where it spread, where it came from, all of that. And the Trump administration at the time embraced the idea of locking down the country, as China was doing. China was doing it in China. That's where the virus was. We should emulate them. Other nations did the same thing. And the plan, if you remember, two weeks to flatten the curve. And the idea, if you remember the honest accounting of what it was, two weeks to flatten the curve, is we needed hospitals to be able to staff up. And so they showed these two charts. One was a massive peak of COVID. And it went up and it kind of came down somewhat abruptly. And the other was a smaller line that spread out over time. And the argument was, if we lock down, COVID will go on longer, but hospitals will not be overwhelmed. Two weeks to flatten the curve is what they said. Two weeks to flatten the curve. And we need everybody in the country to shut down for two weeks to flatten the curve. Now, what was the point of flattening the curve again? It was an admission that COVID would go on far longer, but that it would allow hospitals to staff up, to resource up, to get their supplies up, to get the ventilators they needed, to work on supply chain and distribution facilities, uh, inner hospital collaboration to make sure that there would be zones of uh, where COVID was or wasn't so uh, patients could be transported, uh, temporary ICU units could be put up, all of this stuff. That was what flattening the curve was about. Flattening the curve was not about ending COVID. It was about flattening the curve, keeping the numbers down low enough so hospitals didn't get overwhelmed. So as people came in, there would be space in hospitals and a lot of people wouldn't die. Somewhere along the lines that got lost in translation and people, particularly on the left, internalized it as two weeks to end COVID. Let's all lock down and we will end COVID. I don't really know how that happened, but it did. 
two weeks to flatten the curve was to allow hospitals resource. Now, I, let me speak about Georgia because that's where I am. Uh, Brian Kemp was one of the very last governors in the country to shut the state down, to shut his state down. He was the very first governor to open his state. Ron DeSantis gets a lot of uh, support. You would think Florida never locked down. They did for a little while. Georgia was open first. And what the governor of Georgia did in that time is he got every hospital in the state to get together and say, here's how we're going to move patients around the state who have COVID. When one hospital fills up, here's where their patients are going to go. Here's how we're going to prioritize and account for every ventilator in the state. We're going to have the National Guard and others move them around the state. As one area gets overwhelmed, we'll take from areas that aren't overwhelmed and move to those areas that are overwhelmed so everybody gets at capacity. And they spent the entire month building this up, building up supplies, and then said, okay, plan's in place. Open the gates. Let everybody out. That's what we were supposed to do. But the Trump administration came out and said, no, 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 this is bad. This is bad. COVID will spread. And somehow, I think that was the moment where it became, we've got to stay inside forever to stop COVID. That was never what flattening the curve was about. It was never about stopping the spread of COVID. It was about not overwhelming resources and hospitals. And somehow along the way, and I think it was that, the conversations in the media about Georgia reopening, it suddenly became about not stopping hospitals from being overwhelmed and people from from not having ventilators, but suddenly about stopping people from getting COVID altogether. That's never what it was supposed to be about. But somehow, people began to internalize that if we lock down, we'll stop COVID. The Europeans in particular prioritize this. Everybody's got to stay home for months on end, cancel your parties, cancel your friends and family. They can't come over anymore, and we will stop people from getting COVID. It was never going to work. In fact, it didn't work. Now, there will be those who say, well, they had far less people die than the United States. That's true. They did. But the United States, unlike Great Britain and many of these other countries, has something called a written constitution. And that written constitution prioritizes our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness as reflected in the Declaration of Independence, though itself not part of the constitution. The constitution reflects that intent. And people at some point have to be allowed to take risks themselves to live their lives as they see fit. And there were certain precautions put in place for a while when the state reopened. There were mask mandates. And the masks were designed at the height of the pandemic when everyone was getting sick to at least give some small reduction. This is the part that the anti-mask people forget is that no one ever thought, although they do now claim that masks can somehow eliminate COVID, it was never about completely eliminating COVID. It was about reducing transmission rates at the height of the pandemic. So again, hospitals didn't get overwhelmed. Everybody seems to forget this point. All of the procedures put in place were about overwhelmed hospitals and keeping them from being overwhelmed. It was never from mass to lockdowns about stopping the virus. Mitigation. But somehow or another, with the left in particular, the left decided it was all about ending COVID. And a lot of that had to do with our public health leaders. The public health leaders assured us if we all stayed home, COVID wouldn't spread, except people were allowing small groups to come over, friends and family to come over, 
You couldn't expect these people to wear a mask in a house. Remember some of the stupid guidance from the public health officials? Oh, everyone needs to wear a mask inside their own home if they have children present. No one's going to do that, except the most obsessed among us was stupid to think people would. It was stupid to think you were going to fundamentally curve people's behavior. Again, the whole point of this was to stop hospitals from being overwhelmed. It was not to stop the virus. But the public health officials began to internalize, we can beat this. Nope. Nope. It was ridiculous to think otherwise. Yet, this data has now come out that the lockdowns weren't good at stopping the spread of COVID. Well, of course not. That's not what the lockdowns were supposed to be for. They weren't supposed to be for stopping COVID. They were supposed to be for reducing the immediate spread so hospitals could stock up and then let people out. Everyone wants to be revisionist right now. Fact of the matter is, we're not going to beat COVID. We're not. COVID beat us. We're not going to do it. But we can take reasonable risks. We can get vaccinated. It works. But unfortunately, for a lot of us, the Democrats are in charge right now. And the Democrats have taken it as dogma that we're going to beat COVID. And the Democrats have taken it as dogma that masks work in a way masks don't work. The White House is suddenly seeing the polling and realizing they got to do something. Politico reports the White House is preparing to move on from COVID. Emboldened by falling case counts, they're plotting a new phase of pandemic response aimed at containing the virus and conditioning Americans to live with it. They don't have to condition people in red states to live with it. We're already doing that. But they're not going to abandon the virtue signaling of masks. They can't give up on the masks. They want everyone still to put on the masks. Here's a sample from the Politico. Yet even as it maps the next stage, the White House has ruled out making a splashy show or major announcement regarding a hard pivot back to normalcy. There is fear among aides over repeating last year's July 4th Freedom from the Virus celebration, an event that turned politically disastrous weeks later when the Delta variant fueled the swift resurgence of the pandemic. And though it faces pressure to back off some of its more notable and onerous public health policies, the administration is also unlikely to drop its indoor masking recommendation, which are seen as among the key tools for preventing new outbreaks. The lockdowns did not stop the spread of COVID. The masks are not going to stop the spread of COVID. And here's what's more important. Virginia is the only reason they're doing this. Had Glenn Youngkin lost in Virginia and the polls not decisively shifted towards the GOP, they'd still be doing what they were doing. The bottom line truth of the matter is that the Democratic policies are based on public opinion polling, not on public policy. The Democrats are the ones most scared of COVID, and the Democrats are the ones who are scared of its spread, and the Democrats are the ones of are scared of everything right now. And so the entire public policy positioning of the White House is fear. But the polls have shifted. Glenn Youngkin has won. 
And now 70% of Americans say they would much prefer to move on, deal with COVID, get on with their lives, and get out of all the pandemic policies we've had. The only people left who think we still need to live in fear of the virus, 51% of Democrats, according to Monmouth University, 51% of Democrats, over 80% of Republicans and 70% of independents say get on with our lives. 49% of Democrats say get on with our lives. But they can't. Except the Biden administration is going to force them to. And you know how they're going to force them to? Essentially, they're going to say, friends, if you don't get out of your mask, Donald Trump is going to win. If you don't get out of your mask, Mitch McConnell will be majority leader. If you don't go back to normal, Kevin McCarthy will beat Nancy Pelosi as speaker. And suddenly, miracle of miracles, like Moses raising his arms to part the Red Sea, you will see Democrats part ways with the masks as quickly as they possibly can and return to normal because they fear the Republicans more than they fear the virus. They would much rather die at the hands of the virus than see Donald Trump come back in the White House. And so politics is how the Democrats in Washington will get the Democrats nationwide to move on from the virus. That's just the truth. You may think it's mean of me to say it that way, but it's true. They fear Trump more than they fear COVID. And so if the Biden administration tells them, look, guys, we, we got to move on and get back to normal or Trump's going to win. He's going to capitalize on this. They will move back to normal. You will better not stand in the way of normalcy or else. All those Democrats who are out there in supermarkets yelling at you about not wearing masks, they will soon be yelling at you if you are wearing a mask. They could have done this months ago. And you know, I think we need to remember history will show the original anti-vaccine people, the original people casting doubt on the vaccine, they were all Democrats when Donald Trump was in charge. It's always and always will be political opportunism that shifts the needle. And it's unfortunate that in Washington, Democrats and Republicans, they can't just look at the research, the data, and the consensus of public health officials and make up their minds. They have to say, eh, what's the political polling say? Now that the polling has decisively shifted towards we want things to go back to normal, the Biden administration is probably about to shut up Dr. Fauci and let everybody go back to normal. Because otherwise, Republicans could do too well. One of the groups that wants to make sure the Republicans do do well is Patriot Mobile. They are a cell phone provider. Now, listen, I've gotten questions on this. You need to understand a couple of things about Patriot Mobile. They are a company that is allowed to use the cell phone towers that the other major providers put up. Why? Because... At Patriot Mobile, they're called an MVNO. Congress passed a law. They don't want the monopoly telecom providers. And in not wanting the telecom providers out there, they want um, Patriot Mobile and other companies to be able to use those towers to provide competition in the cell phone market. And one of the other things that you can do because of federal law is you can transfer your phone number. Your phone number belongs to you, not your cell phone company. So you can move that to Patriot Mobile. You can even, if your phone is unlocked, take your phone to Patriot Mobile with you. It's fantastic. It works. They're a great company. You can save money. If you're an NRA member, you're a teacher, you're a first responder, you're a veteran, you can get discounts. And they use a portion of their profits to advance the conservative movement, which is fantastic. 
And the way you do this is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation, or you can call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT is the number. 972-PATRIOT. That's the number. Uh, They would love to have you, and they'll treat you well. Tell them I sent you. You get a good discount. patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Jeff, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Thanks for taking my call, man. I just wanted to kind of get your take on uh, the constitutional carry bill that is, um, I guess, come out of the Senate committee and going into a rules committee to make it to the floor. What are your, what are your, are you optimistic about this? Yeah, I actually am. Um, so okay. Jason Avatarte is the sponsor. I think he's one of the governor's floor leaders. He's close to the governor. The governor wants it. Uh, I think the Republicans in the House and the Senate both want it. My concern is the Speaker of the House. Uh, is he Correct. opposed to it because he can kill it? But it's going to pass the Senate. The votes are there. You know, so there's an irony here, and I should explain this inside the baseball stuff for people who aren't in Georgia listening right now, is that most of the Republicans in the House and Senate uh, are deeply skeptical of David Perdue's ability to beat Stacey Abrams in Georgia. They like Brian Kemp. He had been one of them. He's got a relationship with them. They saw how Perdue's campaign failed against John Ossoff. Uh, some of them resent pressure. They feel like they've gotten to endorse Purdue. So they want to give Kemp some wins uh, on constitutional carry. He's got a transgender um, in sports ban that he wants to pass. They want to get him that and some other things to campaign on. So I think we might get constitutional carry. If we don't, it'll be David Ralston, the Speaker of the House, who blocks it, not Brian Kemp. And I think Ralston might actually give us this one uh, and, and kind of say he's done enough now for the gun rights movement in Georgia, no more. Uh, and, I, you know, I take it. Uh, I, I would totally take it. For those of you who aren't familiar with constitutional carry, constitutional carry is the idea that if you are a, a lawful Second Amendment uh, gun owner, you don't need additional permission from the government to carry your firearm. I let my concealed carry permit lapse and I'm, I have to go through the whole process again. And I'm kind of hoping this bill passes. So I don't have to do that. Listen, if you've got the right to keep and bear arms, you should be allowed to carry your gun with you. For those of you who've never bought a gun and think, Oh my gosh, it's, it's easier to buy a gun than it is to vote. Actually, it's not. You got to go through a background check and all sorts of stuff. You're not going to stop people. The only people who right now carry their guns on them, uh, if they don't have a concealed carry permit, are lawbreakers. And there are a lot of them who carry guns with them everywhere. Might as well even the score and allow the law-abiding citizens to carry their guns with them without having to go through the additional process. I'm a big fan of constitutional carry. Frankly, I wish it was nationwide. Congress should intervene there and pass a law and say, if you've got a gun and you're lawful purchaser, you can carry it wherever you want to carry it anywhere in the country. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. you got the economy. you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. 
So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.